Okay, you guys, big news. This April 18th, I am hosting my first ever live recorded episode of Big Mood that you are invited to. This is going to be so awesome. I'm hosting it on April 18th at 7 p.m. in the BHS Auditorium here in Batesville. This night is going to feature a conversation between myself and BCSD Superintendent Paul Ketchum, as well as two BHS students who are super awesome. Our conversation is really going to focus on how we can make schools better places for all learners and really just focus on what school culture is and what it currently needs. Now, as with all my episodes, you don't have to be involved with schools at all in order to learn and to appreciate what's going on. So I'm inviting all of you to come out to this free event. Yes, it's free and tickets are available on my website, paulsatchwill.com. You can also RSVP and share the event on Facebook from the Batesville Area Arts Council Indiana page. I am so excited about this and I just wanted to tell you about it. So now to the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to season two of Big Mood. I am so excited for you to hear today's episode with a very dear friend, Heather Reichert. Heather and I met a couple of years ago at a teaching conference, and ever since, we've been stealing each other's ideas, uh, buying each other coffee, and spending hours and hours laughing and sharing ideas and talking in the local coffee shop. I so treasure Heather's friendship, and I know that you will love this conversation as she is strikingly intelligent, funny, and all around just an awesome person. So without further ado, question mark, this is my episode with my friend Heather. Enjoy. Hey, Heather. Oh, (laughs) drinking out of your water bottle. We started. I'm sorry. Hello, Paul. Um, How are you today? I'm grand. It's Monday and I survived it. So, oh my gosh. Yes. Every Monday that we survive is a Monday that we survive. (laughs) Especially daylight savings. Yeah, especially today. Oh my gosh. So, guys, this is my friend Heather on today's episode. Heather is an English teacher just like me, but she teaches at a different high school in southern Indiana. She also taught English for a while at the Madison Juvenile Correctional Facility, which is a lot of words, and we'll get into what that means a little bit later. So, Heather, first off, I want to ask you, I mean, obviously I know the answer, but I want your perspective. What does it look like to be a teacher these days? It looks like a lot of things all crammed into a tiny frame of time okay. to, to me. Um, it seems like, especially now, I mean, I, I'm only in my, let's do some math, which is hard for an English teacher. Ew. Um, this is my eighth year teaching since graduating college, which makes me feel old in a way. Cause that's yeah, that's like twice how... Yes, yeah. I am ancient Yes, <laughs> so old. <laughs> so young man, when I started teaching. <laughs> yeah, I brought Heather on for her aged wisdom. <laughs> it's like a fine cheese. Yes, yes. I like that you just compared me to cheese. Okay, <laughs> anyway, um, compared to when I started teaching, um, 
I don't feel like things have actually changed dramatically, but I know compared to like my mentor teachers who taught me in mm -hmm. high school, the pace of things has changed so much. And I know you wear so many hats here at your mm -hmm. school. I wear a lot of hats at mine. It seems like increasingly teachers are doing a lot of things. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing, but our job is not at all just in front of a classroom, mm -hmm. standing in front of a blackboard. We do so much more than that. So to me, being a teacher these days and in general, I hope, and because I think there are a lot of teachers who have done this since the dawn of time, um, being a teacher means so much more than preparing lessons. It means that you are a mentor and you are a counselor and you are um, doing half a dozen extracurriculars mm -hmm. to help enrich these kids and doing all kinds of crazy things outside of school. Um, so I guess the word is busy. Being <laughs> a teacher just means you are busy. Yes, that word is, yeah, teacher is such a loaded word. <laughs> you know, like if someone's like, oh, how's it going at work? And you're like, well, it depends on what answer you want to hear. <laughs> like some parts of work are going great, some parts of work are a nightmare, but they're all wrapped together and it's kind of a beautiful thing, yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Of cheese? No. Of cheese. <laughs> so much cheese. Um, yeah, I think that that is kind of like kind of cliche, but there's so much that like they don't prepare you for in college and being mm. a teacher. But I think that it's those things that really make you a teacher, right? Yeah. Like anyone, however painful it is, can get up in front of a group of people and tell them something. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's kind of the deeper levels of even being in the classroom or the things you do outside of the classroom, the ways you support and show up for your students. And that's really why I wanted to talk to you today, because I want to talk about this concept and kind of pick your brain about showing up for students. And I was curious if you would help me kind of define that term show up and what that means to show up for other people, especially students. Mm -hmm. um, well, we were chatting here a little bit like right before we started recording because um, I wanted you to define that, mm -hmm. that phrase for me. And I think what we kind of concluded is like, showing up for students means that you are fully present in the moment with them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that your head is even stuck in your lesson necessarily, even though that is important, friends. Mm -hmm. But you are there for those kids individually, for what they need from you that day. And to me, it's all about relationships. And I shouldn't even say to me, because I think all teachers realize that. Yeah. Um, it's not about simply presenting content, like we keep saying. It's about learning to truly empathize with your kids and being there for them. Is, is mm -hmm. I think especially now, I mean, that, that is definitely one that I think we both agree is getting different as time goes on. Especially now, a lot of kids don't have adults who are present for oh, them. Oh, yeah. And so being able to have genuine conversations and let kids know that you're listening to them, even if it is in the context of, you know, class time. I think that that's what it means to show up for them. Right, right. Even if it's a conversation about something that I have no idea really what the student <laughs> is telling me, <laughs> but knowing that being present in that conversation is important to them mm -hmm. and trying to engage to the best of your ability, I think is something like it's, it's it, that sounds like that sounds really fake, but it, no. that's not what I'm trying to say. It's really just like engaging even when you know getting out of your own headspace and understanding that there are you know 20 to 30 people in the room who to some degree or other crave your attention or need your help or whatever, whatever, right. and being able to engage with that. And letting them know that you're there to listen to them. Mm -hmm. um, if they need to talk to you about school stuff, awesome, but whatever the need is, letting mm -hmm. them know that you're there to truly listen and you're not just trying to check off boxes while they're in your room. And do you feel like that's a struggle for you? Because sometimes I think my students are 
taken back by the fact that I want to be involved with them. Like, I don't just want to say, here's work, do it. Like, I want to sit with them and help them through. And I feel like some of my students are kind of like, wait, what? And they don't really know how to react to that. Yeah, I think it is kind of a gear change for some Mm -hmm. of them because they're... Well, I, I don't know. I think it depends on their background, but I think a lot of them are sort of accustomed to teachers who don't focus on that exclusively mm-hmm. because we do have a lot to do. We have all this content to cover and we have all of these assignments to complete and, you mm-hmm. know, the official business of doing school to take care of. And they expect you to be that. Mm-hmm. So when you do show that you want to get to know them as a person, then for some, I think that is a little bit. I don't know if shocking is quite the right word. That seems a bit much, but it's different. It's different. But I think once they realize that you're genuine about it and it's not just BS, Mm -hmm. then they they appreciate it, even the ones who don't seem like they do at first. Right. And that's one of those things about teaching, right? There's so much delayed gratification Mm -hmm. in the sense that you might even think a student hates you (laughs) until you see them outside of school a few years after they graduate. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And you're like, wow. Which is one of my favorite things Mm -hmm. about this job, truly, that the delayed gratification thing at first, it's maddening, you know, like when you feel like you just can't break through Mm -hmm. this kid and you've just tried everything and you just don't feel like they're they're there for you, like showing Mm -hmm. up for you the way you're trying Mm -hmm. to show up for them. But so often it's those kids who've been getting it the whole time, which is why it's so important to be persistent as a mm-hmm. teacher because every right. day we are going to have those kids who act like they're they're not there they are not even about what you're trying to do with them mm-hmm. but often 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 they surprise you right and especially if you are like you said you're persistent you're authentic you're authentic. showing up for them day after day after day after day for you know a semester two semesters a year whatever that has to start to kind of chip away at things, yeah, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So how how do you show up for your students in your kind of day-to-day flow um, as being a teacher? Oh, my. Oh, my. What a question. Um, I do try to plan things that get us involved with one another in the room mm-hmm. rather than just the talking head up front, which is really hard sometimes. But I learned from many fine colleagues some cool things to try. Hair flip. Yep, hair flip. You deserve that. Um, yeah, some, some new ideas being integrated all the time. Um, that's something that's important to me. I think trying to keep things fresh for them is really, really mm-hmm. important. I never want it to be the talking head. And if I find myself slipping into that, or if I find myself doing 15 minutes of housekeeping and, uh-huh. hey, guys, you didn't turn this in, then I know that something's not yeah. right. Um, so that's something I try to try to avoid. And, like, <laughs> this week in particular is one where it's like, all right, let's just rein that in and not do this. Right. The to-do list stuff at the beginning yeah. of the class. Um, so I try to make it personal, even though that can be challenging sometimes. And I'm definitely not going to go out there and say, well, yes, my classroom is the most dynamic place. Right. Because I know it can always be better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it is being okay with the fact that you know you have things to work on. Yeah. Tell me um, about your town halls. I really love that concept. And I, I'm just kind of curious how you see that impacting, I guess, classroom culture. But also I, I see that from what I know about it as a way that you are showing up for your students and allowing them to kind of have a platform. So what is what is that process of hosting a town hall within a classroom of, what, 20 to 30, you know, diverse students? What does that look like? Um, well, town hall is a concept I stole from another teacher. Right, so and then I again, stole from you. Yes, it's, it's, it's the circle of life. Um, <laughs> 
You can cut that. Part. Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, it is um, it's something I stole from another teacher, and she had used it to get the ball rolling when they were starting to write papers. So rather mm-hmm. than just saying, okay, just partner up with somebody and share your thoughts, mm-hmm. she would actually do a roundtable discussion. And I sat in on one of those and just got hooked on it. I really loved the way that it affected the dynamic of her room. Mm-hmm. So we do it kind of sporadically. Right now, my students are doing argumentative essays, so we're doing it more of like a, not a formal debate, but it is still a roundtable discussion, but we're doing it over controversial subjects mm-hmm. that they're t- discussing in their papers. Okay. So. What we do, we we literally physically circle up the desks so that nobody is the head of the conversation. I will usually have the kids throw out ideas for something they'd like to talk about a day in advance, and then I will select one of those. Sometimes I do hand pick, and sometimes I just put them all in a hat and randomly pick mm-hmm. one. Um, the ones that I like. I will right, put the ones that right. I like in a hat. <laughs> we don't want to be too dangerous. They're not like the earth is flat, and you're like, all right, guys, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that, they're... Sorry, sidetrack, documentary on Netflix. You probably check that out. That's some intense stuff. Got it. Um, anyway, so I'll put the concepts in a hat or I will pick one. And it's usually something that I know is going to generate a really, well, I don't want to say I know it's going to get deep, but I do. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I want it to go deeper than normal. We did do one at Christmas time in my film class about whether or not um, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, (laughs) and that was fun. But usually it's something like, I'm trying to think of one that we did recently. Well, this week we're going to do one on animal testing and whether or not that should be a thing because it's something that one of the kids is doing a paper on. And just today, in fact, in class, they're doing writing lab today. We're not doing town hall. But the kids started bouncing back and forth talking about this animal testing Mm -hmm. question. And immediately they're like, we need to do a town hall on this. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe we should. So I'm getting sidetracked. I'm sorry. No, but that's so cool that you like saw that opportunity. But but not only that you were like, oh, I'm going to harness this energy and, and turn it into something productive, but that they wanted to follow a procedure that you had introduced them. You yeah. know, like they were like, oh, we want to do this in a more formal setting because we know that it's a productive use of our time. Yeah, it's, it's really satisfying to, to hear those kinds of things mm-hmm. from the kids. So back to the structure of how it works. So we do circle up the desks, we'll pick a concept, and then I try to stay as mute as possible through mm-hmm. the whole thing. I will get the thing started by just stating what we're discussing today. So in this case, I would say today we're going to discuss whether or not animal testing should be permitted. And then I will simply wait for a student to raise their hand to volunteer to get the thing started. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I'll give them like 30 seconds. I don't actually time it, but I, I tell them in advance, you want to keep it brief, and I'll kind of tap my mm-hmm. wrist if they need to wrap up. They make their statement, and then the next person, they, and they stand each time they speak, the next person will stand. They respond directly to that person who spoke before them. So it's an ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. And they're graded simply based on whether or not they contributed. They get a full 20 points. Most of my assignments are worth 10, so this mm-hmm. is a bigger thing. They get a full 20 points as long as they stood and said one genuine thing. That's it. Okay. Um, which seems like in explaining it now, it seems very formulaic. And, yeah. But it ends up being a really cool organic thing. Mm-hmm. When Once you get going, the conversations are so meaningful. A lot of the time mm-hmm. they can get really deep. Sometimes they go off on crazy tangents, but I love that. Yeah. Because it's not even just teaching them you know, how to have a reasonable argument with someone, but it's teaching them that their opinions are valued and they yeah. are. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest mission. Like if there is nothing else that we accomplish as teachers, I feel like it's so important for us to teach our students that what they have to say counts. It kills me when I hear students say things like, well, you can ask for my opinion, but I know you don't care about it. Mm. And I had a student say that a couple of weeks ago 
and right now I'm trying to think of what it was even that we were talking about. Oh, we were taking surveys about e-learning days. Mm. And they're like, well, what's the point in this? I can give you my opinion, but nothing's going to happen. And that destroys me because I know that somewhere, some adult has taught them that that is yes, true. Yes, right. And I feel like that, if nothing else, is our mission to show them that you are valuable. Because mm -hmm. everything past that, grades and papers and all that stuff, it all comes secondary to that. If right. you think that you're valuable, then you're going to try to achieve success mm -hmm. in all those other avenues. So Town Hall is kind of a tiny catalyst for that. But there are so many other things and so many things that I've seen you do in your class, mm -hmm. like the 24-hour plays and all these different things that are student-led right. that show our kids that you, like, you're important. You're not just XYZ teenager mm -hmm. or a, a, a name on a list on our rosters. That you're running this show. Right. And that's where we need to be. Right. And the, the fact that, you know, this is all happening because you, the students, are here. Mm -hmm. You know, like our jobs wouldn't exist without them and yeah. I know that for, for everyone like school is just so normal but mm -hmm. for us to think outside of that framework like how can I make sure that I'm showing up for them but also that they're getting the most out of this and I think that feeling valued goes through your entire life if you feel like you're not valued that's going to reflect on your future success and so we have this incredible incredibly stressful duty to try and instill that mm -hmm. in these people for these four years of their lives because I there are so many things that I do that I think you know if if I'm not here day after day trying to instill that in them who's going to do that once they leave school yeah you know yeah and that puts a lot of pressure on me mm -hmm. and I definitely have to be okay with failure and recognizing that people react differently to different things yeah, but that just really came hard. to mind when you when you were talking about that and that's what's really scary because we are as teachers we're told all the time I mean how many PD sessions have you been to when the presenter says you never know when you could be that one person to make yeah. a difference and part of you wants to be like okay that's a cheesy way to get us motivated but really though yeah you could be right and I've had kids and I can't believe I'm able to say it but I've had kids tell me that mm -hmm. which is I, I can't even wrap my head around that being true. Yeah. But because it's possible to make that much of a difference to somebody, it's so important for us to take our job seriously and be on every day. Right. Which, especially this time of year, can be really hard. I know. And it's, it, yeah, it creates, I get fearful sometimes. I'm like, what if the day that, you know, that student needs me, I'm just, I'm not on. You exactly. know, like I'm not there. Yeah, so stressful. Yeah. Well, you posted, what was the, the tweet that you posted yesterday or this morning about being here for this last week? Yeah, I think it was just break. like, I was just thinking about my intentions because the week before spring break is so tough. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful sunny day today and no one wants to be here. And, and that, that definitely, you know, that goes for the whole school. But mm -hmm. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. But I, I was just thinking like, what are my, like, how am I going to set my intentions for the week? And I was like, you know, I want to make this one of the best weeks because I need to be there even if mentally I'm somewhere else, right, <laughs> you right. know. Because there's no incentive for them to try to be there if you're not. Mm -hmm. so, and already this morning, like first period, second period, those are like for, for me anyway and my dynamic at school, the high energy points of the day are before lunch. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at the kids and I'm trying to kind of take the temperature of where the day is going to fall in that morning hour. And I'm looking at these kids in second and third period and nobody is in it today. Right. Nobody. 
So on those days, it's difficult, but we have to just magically generate energy yes. from someplace. Right. And it always pays off. Like When we pull it off, it pays off. Yeah, definitely. So this podcast obviously is about the next generation, Generation Z. And I'm curious if we could kind of pivot to that as a topic. So I guess my question is, it's very broad, but what do you believe, what are some of your beliefs about this next generation or the students who make up this next generation? Well, this is one of the questions when you sent me your list beforehand, I was like, hmm, I'm not sure how to address it. Because I do understand the concept of Generation Z, obviously. Right. But at the same time, like we've been saying here, um, I, I slash we focus so very, very much on keeping things individual for mm-hmm. kids and looking at those people as, as themselves, as little humans. Yes. Um, <laughs> medium-sized humans yeah pretty medium large cut the last 20 seconds okay got it (laughs) okay (laughs) anyway we spend so much time focusing on our students as individuals that sometimes it's easy for me to sort of blur out the fact that they were part of this bigger body yeah um and i was just i was also talking to um one of my colleagues before i left just now i said hey guess what i'm gonna be on a podcast this afternoon and i was telling him about your questions and things and he was saying sort of the same thing that it's it's difficult for us as teachers sometimes to put our students within that context. Right. It's important to understand what they're facing because those issues are so significant. Mm-hmm. But it's still so vital for us to see them outside of that too, to see their potential yeah. unique to them. But as far as what I believe about the next generation and where it's going, I think that they have far more power that they can harness as far as the way they can communicate with social media mm-hmm. and things like that, that we never had. E- even in your young generation, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm millennials. Yeah. <laughs> like, I- I'm MySpace generation. We weren't exactly <laughs> changing worlds with MySpace. But there, there's just so much more that they're capable of doing with the way that mm-hmm. they communicate now than we were even 10 years ago. And to me, that is remarkably exciting because now more than ever they have a voice that can be heard by people everywhere instantly Mm -hmm. without having to be filtered through adults so where I see the next generation going is I feel that things are going to happen for them in a much more rapid way than they ever have Mm. for us that they're going to be able to reach the world and actually change things Mm -hmm. much more quickly than we ever were so the things that we're doing now in high school, they might seem piddly to some, like I just got to get through this and get mm-hmm. my diploma, but we actually have the opportunity now to do as much, if not more, as people who are in their 30s. Right. So do you see, so that's what you believe about this generation. Is that what you see from them day to day? Like, where do you think that, where are you getting that kind of vision of them? I think that some of them get it and they, want to harness that Mm -hmm. Um, and some of them don't want to Um, we live in a rural community everything Mm -hmm. is very traditional here Um, I live in well not the next town but about a half an hour away Mm -hmm. from here and I think it's similar we've got a lot of uh, farming families a lot of people with very deep rooted traditional values and so for a lot of them they want to stay in that because it's comfortable you know but there are others who want to do something new they want to break into something that hasn't been done before Mm -hmm. and I see that with a lot of my seniors especially because they're starting to get that sense of being 
pushed out into the world. Right. And some of them are looking for chances to try to, to be more public. Um, like a lot of your guests in last mm -hmm. season are, are in that category for sure. Right. Um, <clears throat> I have one student who is, um, she's looking at becoming a children's author. And mm -hmm. that to me is so exciting. She just did a children's book in our creative writing class. Mm -hmm. And that was, was pretty awesome. It was just a little project that we did. We presented it to one class of elementary school mm -hmm. kids. Well, she presented it to one class. But just that little bit of a taste of what it could be like to be a professional, I think that's really, really important. And so I see that, like, in, the, in those small ways, I do see them starting to understand their potential, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does, and it's interesting, this concept of them kind of growing into that realization that they do have the potential to make a change and whether they decide to do that or not is their decision. But from our perspective, we're almost kind of working backwards. You know, usually people are motivated to do something and so they seek out ways to do it. Whereas I feel like we are attempting to equip our students to do powerful things mm -hmm. before they're ready. Yeah. And then, then they get that passion or that desire, mm -hmm. or at least we hope, and then they kind of have that skill set ready you know yeah. we hope um, but it's just kind of interesting how they're it, it's kind of a backwards process mm -hmm. <laughs> that we're working well and I don't know about you but to me the biggest challenge is having them find motivation to pursue those things because mm -hmm. you can show them opportunities all day but if they're not motivated to to see those or to understand how they're relevant to them then you're just kind of shot that, right. that, that's the wall that I hit with with people sometimes and that's really um, trying. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are so wired as educators to motivate and, and, and inspire and propel that yeah. we get really excited by, you know, a student saying, maybe I might want to do this. And we say, yes, do it. But there's so much input from other sources that is saying, no, that's not realistic. Yeah. That's not going to make you money. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we're kind of, not that we're fighting against other people, but we are trying to inspire them to think openly and think mm -hmm. honestly with themselves and maybe there's other sources outside that are are going opposite of that yeah. you know we're the perpetual optimists yes we are because we have to be we do <laughs> which is kind of fun in a way mm -hmm. but it can be exhausting at times too yes like right now <laughs> um you have some really interesting interesting to me teaching experience at the madison juvenile correctional facility tell me a little bit about that um, well, I worked there for two years, from 2014 to 2016, and I started off by going to correctional training with all the actual correctional officers, mm, so I wow. got to do the same training as everybody else. I learned to do takedowns and handcuffs and all that wow. stuff, so it put me into kind of a weird mindset, because that was before I got to be in a classroom yeah. at all. So. I Like, what am I walking into? Yeah, like the very first day that I was in class. It, I don't I don't remember all that much about that day except for I do remember one moment because I was freaked right out I was really really nervous because I, I had all this corrections stuff in my head yeah. more so than teacher stuff in my head mm -hmm. and I was trying to do everything right I was trying to make sure I follow all the protocol and everything and the only really distinct moment that I remember from that day because it was all just a blur is I'm doing my little, well, hello, I'm Mrs. Riker, da-da-da. And this kid stands up in her desk. Like, she puts a hand on each side of her desk and stands up, and she's like, why aren't you being real right now? And I had no idea what to say. Wow. And I, I, I just kind of looked at her like, well, 
I'm, I'm re- this is who I, and I, I made up some stuff, yeah. on, but I couldn't get that out of my head. And I still think about that moment a lot, actually. Huh. And I think that was like, if I had to summarize the whole experience of working there, which was amazing and I would never trade it for anything. It was a learning to be real and just learning to wow. be, be who you are when you're with your kids. Mm-hmm. You are not Mrs. Teacher. You are you as a person mm-hmm. relating to other people. Yes, and that's that ties back into the the concept of empathy that you brought up earlier. And and we have to be, we have to do so much self you know exploration and realization before we can be ready to go in. And you know, teaching is is totally separate than being with students and being yeah. in their lives yeah. and understanding how they work. And, you know, I think it all kind of, I think it's almost like a dual track position. And that's really mm-hmm. cool that that like instant has kind of been a catalyst for so much in your life. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm really grateful for all of it. It was, it was intense and trying and it was a year round schedule. It was physically and emotionally exhausting at times, but I learned so much, mm-hmm. not just about being a teacher, but just how to relate to people. Like I, I grew a lot as a person and I'm really, really grateful. Right. And there was a documentary about that facility somewhat recently on Netflix, yeah, right? Girls Incarcerated. Go mm-hmm. out and watch it. Season one is still available on Netflix. And did you know, you knew some of those girls, right? Yeah. I did. I did. And um, JC Minnick, who was the counselor on the first couple of episodes, she had this really heartbreaking episode in which she was leaving the facility. Mm-hmm. She left just a little bit after I did. Um, we had hired in together and kind of went through the process of getting to know the girls and getting to know the facility. And so to watch her have her, her leaving moment with the kids mm-hmm. on that show just oh, it destroyed me. It was, it was yeah. something. Um, and yeah, I did know several of the girls that were on the show. Um, I do highly recommend it. I showed it to my students. I mean, not just because I worked there, which is cool. I'm not going to mm-hmm. deny it. It was super cool that I got to share this with them because having people come in and visit while you're there doesn't really happen. Right. Like my husband didn't even get to come in and see mm-hmm. my classroom until after I was like moving my things out when I was switching jobs. Um, so being able to share that with people was really cool. But mm-hmm. I also think it's really important for people to see and understand that incarcerated youths are not lost youths. Oh, yeah. And that, to me, is like the driving force behind the mm-hmm. show and behind everything that working in corrections and working mm-hmm. with juvenile um, detention people <laughs> is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not, it's not about being punitive as much as being therapeutic. Right. And that phrase really hits me, uh, lost youth, because I think that that like we have to fight with everything we can to not use that phrase because mm-hmm. I know, you know, like you're in the lunchroom or wherever oh. when there's conversation happening and, and I feel like that gets thrown out so mm-hmm. much like, oh, well, you know, they're out of here, they're, you know, and it's like, but that's, that's a person who like we, you know, we have the, the opportunity to influence and to mm-hmm. impact and, and way, like, I guess the question I have is like, when in your career does that shift happen when you... Yeah go from seeing students one way to being someone on the list. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's I see that too a lot. And it's sad to me because I'm getting to the point where I can understand just flat running out of energy for people. Mm-hmm. I, I can definitely feel it now. But I also know how how incredibly tragic and dangerous it is to think about anybody, students, never mm-hmm. mind, but just anybody, any person, yeah. how dangerous it is to think about them as, well, they're a lost cause. I just, I refuse to accept it. And mm-hmm. I think the day that 
any teacher finds that they can't refuse to accept it anymore is the day that maybe you should think of a new career because right. that's that's the entire purpose of us is to empower people right. and if you can't believe in them no matter how quote-unquote lost they might seem to you then you are no longer serving your purpose yeah and if we i mean we have to be bold in how we approach the classroom and maybe part of that is realizing that our place is no longer in the classroom yeah you know yeah. Um, brene exactly. brown did a study on the power of teachers and the statistics were amazing because it was, you know, 90% of the people interviewed uh, identified something a teacher said as kind of a, a turning point for the worse in their life where they realized, yeah. you know, but, but then 90% of those same, that same pool recognized a time when a teacher said something that pushed them in a positive direction. And so yes. the results were kind of that mm -hmm. either way, teachers have an outstanding potential and task mm -hmm. of, of, influence. And there's so much pressure because it can be just the minutest thing that you say that mm -hmm. could be that enormous positive turning point or that negative one. Right. Like my dad can still remember a time when he was in like the third grade, I think. Mm. And it was, it was his baseball coach, but the same principle applies. His baseball coach told him that he wasn't capable of running the bases, that you wow. should just sit down because this isn't going to be a thing for you. And my dad is 58. Right. Okay? And he can still bring that up and recall it in minute detail. Mm -hmm. So you, you're not really allowed, as someone who works with, with young people especially, to have off days. Right. You're really not. You have to really watch yourself. But at the same time, I can remember... Um, well, okay, little backstory on me. My high school experience was online, mm -hmm. and that had the potential to be sort of a reclusive experience sure. where you don't really get a social life and you're just kind of doing your online stuff. But my school was pretty awesome because they did video conferenced classes. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just, here's your curriculum, complete mm -hmm. it and send it back. We actually had to show up at a specific time every day. You saw your teachers, they saw you, you had classmates and you'd email back and forth. It was all pretty dynamic mm -hmm. for the setting. And I remember receiving an email from one of my teachers on a journal that I had written, and I'm pretty sure it was a free write because he did those all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and he wrote back, I still have no idea what I wrote, but he wrote me back from that journal and said, you know what, you need to really consider doing something with this because God could use your talent. Wow. And I thought that, I mean, that was really flattering at the time, but I've still kept that comment. I can still uh -huh. see it on my screen in my yeah. head if I think about it. It was one sentence. It took him less than five seconds to write it. But that was sort of the sentence. If I can draw everything back to one point in my life that led me to do something with what I do with literature, that was where it began, mm. that one sentence. Mm -hmm. So I went, I did graduate high school. Yeah, high school's first, then college. <laughs> And Good then, job. Yeah, thank you. I went to college. I was an English major for all of two weeks. And mm -hmm. the same teacher, I'm chatting with him, like, hey, how's, you know, this is what I'm doing, because he'd, he'd kept up. And I, I also think that's important for us, too, mm -hmm. to remember that we still have connections with our kids after they leave. I had been chatting with him, and he was like, you know, you should maybe think about education. Have you ever yeah. considered that? Because I was voicing, like, well, I mean, I'm doing this English degree, but I'm not sure where I'm going to go with it. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll be a writer, or maybe I'll do this or that or the other thing. Like, well, what if you focused it this way? Yeah. And I switched programs, and here yeah. I am. That's so, a lot of influence. Yeah. And I like that story for so many reasons, partly because it happened online. And I think that part of this generation, like you talked about with communication, a lot of it happens online and yeah. in spaces where previous generations 
don't fully grasp or are intimidated by. And so the fact that you had a teacher, even though it was not completely face-to-face that made such an impact on you, Mm -hmm. like our words, no matter where they are, bear significance for anyone, not just teachers, um, no matter where they are. So you have definitely worked with a wide variety of students, and especially in in our area, there's a a broad diversity um, with income, I think is one of our biggest, one of our Mm -hmm. biggest kind of areas of diversity. And so you've, you definitely have throughout your eight years worked with a lot of those students. So kind of as we start to wrap up, I'm curious what you see as some of the biggest challenges or issues facing this generation. So if we can kind of zoom out a little bit, what are the things that they're facing that you see as, as being um, kind of kind of a big deal to them? I think one of the biggest differences between my upbringing slash the upbringing of people in, in my generation and the students that I have in my classroom now is it seemed like when, when I was growing up, there was sort of a set path that everybody followed. You mm-hmm. go through school, you do the best you can, you get the good grades, you go to high school, you continue to do that, you choose a career, and everything just kind of flows. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple for, I'd say, the vast majority of our kids anymore, right. and especially those who are dealing with poverty. We have a lot of students who are breadwinners for their family. We have a lot of students who are actively trying to help their family maintain housing and doing Mm -hmm. all these things. So to ask a student who is doing life stuff, you know, they're doing this this real-world stuff, to ask them to sit down and write you a five-paragraph essay like that's important, Mm -hmm. it's just, it feels a little silly sometimes. Yeah. So, and coming back to the teaching end of things again for a second, there's sort of a... A breaking point the figuring out where you need to stop being academic and start mm-hmm. being just a helper to, to right. this person who is struggling so this generation as far as how they cope with those things there's just so much more of it for them to cope mm-hmm. with and technology I think kind of integrates with that as well because there is a much wider social circle for them to interact with and they can a- interact with them all the time and they're just they're overwhelmed with all kinds mm-hmm. of things all the time. Life stuff, social stuff, school stuff, it's mm-hmm. all there bombarding them 24-7. So I think it's especially difficult for students who are living in poverty, but for really anyone. There's just a lot of stuff to juggle all at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that is hard because although that is hard because these are, are at the end of the day, young people yeah. who, I mean, no one has it fully together, but these are young people who especially don't, some of it's because of biology, some of it's yeah. because of age, maturity. And so there are so many people out there who do have the advantage of age, more means, um, you know, more security. So how do you, how do you see, how could people of older generations or, you know, generations above Generation Z, how could the everyday person show up for them? Because we see them every day and we get the ins and outs of what they need, who they are, but for a lot of people, right, their perception is based on the media or what Mm -hmm. they see online. Mm -hmm. Um, So how could you see people who aren't with them every day, how could they still show up and, and support these young people? I think the word of the day really is it's always empathy. It's mm-hmm. always empathy. No matter what that person's background is, no matter what you think it is based mm-hmm. on media or whatever, 
you have to always remember that you're interacting with a person, regardless of their age, regardless mm -hmm. of how different they at 17 are from you at 17. You have to remember that they are capable of success and they're capable of understanding you just as much mm -hmm. as you can understand them if you try yes. and if you're persistent. So if you want to understand somebody of any generation, it takes time and it takes the mm -hmm. willingness to have a relationship with them. And that can't exist solely within the context of the job that you have to do. Mm -hmm. So for us as teachers, yay, rah, let's get those grades. But if you really want to understand someone, you have to take the time to have a relationship with them and to empathize. Mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question. It does, and I think that's so powerful no matter who you're interacting with, but there's always that perception from generation to generation that yeah. the generation below you is so much worse and, yeah. they, you know, and they're awful, and people have been saying that since the dawn of time, oh and I think that only once we start to shift that perspective in the majority mm -hmm. can we really start to tap into the potential because teachers, obviously, that's that's part of our job is, is trying to get these students, these young people uplifted and working and, and even just passing something, you know, yeah. but but we can't can't carry that weight. We need the help from others in society to come alongside us in motivating and encouraging and and getting these students, you know, to a place where they mm -hmm. can succeed. Well, I'm coming back a little tiny bit to the technology thing. I think that this generation has more tools at their disposal to help others to mm -hmm. understand than, than ever before. So while a lot of um, older people may only see Tide Pod videos, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, there's the capacity to see so much more from mm -hmm. them. So I, I love seeing students be vocal with their thoughts mm -hmm. and opinions because they've got so much to give and so much to offer with their talents and the, the things that they want to do and change mm -hmm. in the world. So I, I love that you're doing this, doing this podcast and having your students on because it gives people of different generations an opportunity to empathize with right. younger generations. And I, when I was a kid, I don't know that that would have been true. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty awesome. Okay, before we go, Heather, I have a few lightning round questions that I want to ask you. So you have to answer these as fast as you can and explain as little as you can. Okay. All right. Question number one. Texting or talking? Texting. Yes, finally. Favorite day of the week? Wednesday. Hands Ooh, down. Okay. How long does it take you to get ready in the morning? 35 minutes precisely. No, I don't know. It depends, <laughs> it depends on the morning. 34 minutes and 30 seconds, actually. On Mondays, longer. Um, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? Oh my. Well, technically, animal crackers are cookies. So I feel like that question makes this whole thing much more complicated, and now I'm distracted. I'm yeah, sorry. it's a moral issue. It's, it's really hard-hitting. Favorite junk food? Oh, oh, this is difficult. I like so many. Um, chili cheese Fritos. Ooh, are yum. Those, those are a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can I answer this next one for you? Oh, I'm scared. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, have you ever worn socks with sandals? My answer is yes. <laughs> No, lies. What? You're no. such a socks and sandals no, person. No, absolutely not. No, only to go to the mailbox. That's the okay. end of the road for Yeah, it doesn't sandals. count. This one's dumb. Say good day, mate, in an Australian accent. I respectfully refuse. <laughs> <laughs> that is not going to happen. <laughs> Ooh, this is good. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? This is three. <laughs> this one right here. There's got to be more coming, I'm sure. Yes, right after this, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> Heather, this has been such a great conversation. Thanks for coming on. 
Thank you for having me. This is awesome. This is super fun. Where can people find you after this? Oh, yes. So you can find me on the grams at mrs.heather.reichert. Awesome. And you can find me anywhere you socialize online at Paul Satchwell. And I'm excited to say for the first time this season that this has been a big mood. Big mood. Big mood. Don't cut that. Ha, ha, ha.